Hi there, and welcome to the Homestead Education Podcast. Do you have a homestead, farm, or just dream of a rural life? This is a show to help you and your kids grow your own food and grow as a person. I'm your host, Cody Hanner. I'm a homesteader, homeschool mama six, and small town enthusiast. I was raised by an old school rancher and blessed by the grace of God to have been exposed to so much of what rural life has to offer. Join me every week to talk about homesteading, homeschooling, and growth with a homestead education. Hi, everyone. Today I have Chase Youngdahl, the Noxious Weeds Program Manager for Bonner County, and that is in North Idaho, where I'm at. He is a local to here, an alum of our local colleges, and I'm really excited to have you on today. Hi, Chase. Yep, good to be here, Cody. So, you know, I kind of gave a little bit of an explanation of what your job is um, in the intro, but do you kind of want to explain to us what a noxious weed specialist is? So I'll just kind of start from the beginning with just a couple of fundamental definitions. Uh, right. So well, we, we... actually, if you want to start from your beginning and maybe tell us a little bit about, um, you know, like I said, you're a local, you want to say where you're from and where you went to school and stuff? Yeah, Sandpoint, Idaho. It's up in the the, the panhandle, the skinny part up by Canada here in the United States. Um, raised here. I went to Sandpoint High School, went to a community college in Spokane for uh, an ag forestry program. And I didn't really uh, envision my career quite going the direction that it's gone with noxious weeds, but it's just uh, managed to keep finding me along the way. It's been uh, 20 years now. It's my 20th year in the workforce. And uh, I've worked either directly or on the periphery in noxious weed management for the entire time. So that's kind of the kind of my story in a nutshell. You know, I, I feel you. I keep circling back to food safety, even though I've been out of it for 10 years. So it's just if it finds us, it finds us, right? <laughs> right. Just roll with it. Yeah, I, I wrote the homeschool curriculum and now I'm finding myself doing uh, business consulting on making sure people have all their regulatory stuff in line. And I was like, that's what I quit doing 10 years ago when I started being a homeschool mom. <laughs> Par for the course. Right. Uh. So yeah, go ahead and tell us a little bit more about what a noxious weed program manager is. So the in the state of Idaho... A noxious weed is designated in Idaho code as any plant having the potential to cause injury to public health, crops, livestock, land, or other property, and designated as such by the director of the Idaho State Department of Agriculture. Also in Idaho statute, each county is required to hire and employ um, a, a designated noxious weeds program manager for, for their locale. Um, so we're in the state of Idaho, county government are subsections of the state of Idaho, uh, which of which there's 44 counties. So I've got 43 other counterparts in the state of Idaho, and uh, we all work towards the same thing, um, keeping the county in compliance with the state noxious weed code and providing education to the public. Um, and so which pro uh, you guys work out of the extension offices, right? Uh, I'm closely with them. We, we do work in conjunction. Um, okay. well, I guess for your, for the benefit of your, your listeners here, I had became acquainted with Cody at an educational presentation that I gave for the 4-H leaders here, which mm -hmm. is uh, part of the extension program. 
Um, so yeah, not noxious weed programs, you know, will work cooperatively with the extension office on various educational type of ventures. Um, but I'm the extension office are actually employed by the university where I'm actually employed by county government. Okay. So that's see, I learned stuff too. <laughs> so I do know that um there are similar noxious weed programs in other states and probably other countries, but I'm not sure about that. Um, I know in both California and Oregon, where I've lived before, there's similar noxious weed programs. And the reason I was really excited to bring you on is because there are so many people in, you know, with kind of our, I don't know, political economic climate that we're having right now is a lot of people are moving out of their home states. They are moving from towns into more rural areas. They are starting farms or homesteads and they may not know that noxious weeds are even a thing. And so I was hoping you could give us a little, you know, I mean, we got like the canned explanation, but let's go a little bit more into what a noxious weed is, like how you can find out what are in your area, why it's important, some of those things. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, So just from a fundamental definition standpoint, a weed, just to simply a weed is a plant out of place. That's any type of vegetation that's interfering with your given set of management objectives, where a noxious weed, as I kind of alluded to in in my, uh, my background intro there, is designated by the control authority, uh, mm-hmm. which is generally a state. Um, it could be a country in other parts of the world. Um, there's local municipal jurisdictions that have their own definition, but, but generally speaking, 99% of the time a noxious weed is gonna be a plant that's not native to the area. So it came from elsewhere in the world, generally at about the same latitude band that would have you know, similar conditions where it will thrive. Um, so here in, in North America and in Idaho, a lot of our noxious weeds come from the Europe and Asia area. Um, some were introduced intentionally for ornamental purposes. Others were, uh, came in by accident, impurities and cargo ships and um, any number of vectors could have got some of those impurities here. And so, they, didn't, they didn't bring with them their indigenous mitigation factors, insects and diseases and such. So they can just, you know, grab a hold of the landscape and just proliferate it, take it over. So kind of the biggest differences between the annoying weeds that I'm picking out from between my tomato plants and noxious weeds are that the noxious weeds are regulated by a government entity. They're not necessarily local to the area that they're growing and then again possibly cause harm right yep and they and they come with some type of obligation um, set in code from from the regulatory authority to to do something about them to make an effort to control them okay so if i bought a piece of property and there was noxious weeds regulated by my uh local government whether that be county or state i am required to mitigate in some way? Yep. Okay. And so where could I find out what the noxious weeds are for my area? So a, a good place to start is at a, at my level. I mean, with your, your county noxious weeds office, 
And that can be, I mean, we're at a point now where I believe every county has a website. So if you just go to the main, you know, website for your county and then look for, you know, weeds, most of our programs have what you're obligated to control on the website. And another good place to go is the state. I mean, the, the state is going to have um, the statutes and, and all the prohibited species too. Uh, okay. Which in, in the state of Idaho, there's 70. There are 70 weeds on our noxious weed list that are that are subject to the statute. And different states have um, different levels of them. Uh, the state of Washington, I believe, has 120 or 130 some. And other states, lot. yeah, other states have fewer, have 50 something. Like I'm not even sure I knew that there was 50 species or 70 species of weeds around me. But of course, maybe what I consider a weed versus, you know, grasses and things like that. And again, there's there's going to be invasive weeds that, you know, still could pose a problem that are just not they haven't gone through uh, the, the process of government to land on the noxious weed list. So you're not obligated to control them. But, you know, it still could behoove you and you're, you know. However, you're managing your property, they're interfering with you that you would want to control them. Okay, so the invasive ones that affect my yard or my animals or my crops, definitely, I'm not required to, but I should. <laughs> it's, but it all starts with identification. So okay. um, we've, got, we've got a ham, I'm not sure if there's video involved in this, but I mean, okay. we, have a lo- we have a local handbook here. Um, <clears throat> for the Selkirk Cooperative Weed Management Area, which is encompasses Bonner and Boundary Counties that, that show the, the state and county noxious weeds specific to our locale. Um, there's Weeds of the West. There's, there's various publications with full color photos. Okay. And, you know, dichotomous keys that can help you identify what you're working with. And that's something that a local uh, noxious weed program manager can, can help as well with landowners. I mean, I... I have any so weeds of the West, the one you told me that isn't in production anymore, or right, right. Okay, maybe I can find it on a books or something. They still, uh, the University of Wyoming still has it available in PDF format on their website. Okay, I will link that. And anyway, I help a landowner anywhere from 50 to 100 specimens that I field in my office each year um, that I help landowners identify and um, so that's that's where you want to start I mean it always starts with you know what am I working with you know and is it is it and is it something on the Idaho noxious weed list which would be that would be a high priority to deal with that season or if it's not it's something that's you know could, could be dealt with uh somewhat lower priority I guess okay so, <clears throat> sorry, I seem to be losing my voice. Yeah, me too. <laughs> I think the weather changed up here in North Idaho and it's got us all messed up. Indeed. So, <clears throat> I know that there's going to be different varieties of noxious weeds everywhere because, I mean, something that may be a noxious weed to us may not be a noxious weed to someone else. But what are some examples of kind of why they're considered a noxious weed, what kind of um, damage it can cause, and 
I know that you talked about like, what was it? Three different things that caused them to be noxious in your talk. Yeah, injury to public health, crops, livestock, land, or other property. So just to kind of break that down um, with some examples in the case of public health, I mean, it could be, you know, weeds that possess poisonous qualities to, to people. It just in the case of, I'll just give a, an example, leafy spurge, that's something that's on the Idaho noxious weed list and it contains a sap that actually causes permanent blindness if just a little bit of it gets in your eye. Oh my goodness. So that would be with the, the public health provision. Um, obviously in the case of crops, that would be you know ones that proliferate on the landscape that don't have their indigenous mitigation factors and they take over what you're trying to grow. So that's something that impacts food security. And in the in the case of livestock, there's a number of them that are poisonous to cattle and horses. Um, so contaminated hay, contaminated range, that's, that's a big deal with those. And then in the case of land or other property, there's some that have root structures that are so massive that they can uh, cause damage to home foundations and um, you know, home infrastructure and plumbing and things of that like. So holy cow. I mean, I knew like tree roots could. I didn't realize there was noxious weeds out there that could do that. Yeah. An, an example would be um, any one of the three in the large knotweed complex. So Japanese giant or bohemian knotweed. Um, some call it imitation bamboo because it has hollowed canes, but it's okay. something that, that grows, it can grow 18 inches a week um, at its peak and get eight to 10 feet tall. And it has a rhizominous root system that's that's massive, very aggressive, and causes cause damage, bust through concrete. Oh my goodness, that's that blows my mind. I mean, I've dealt with noxious weeds a lot when it comes to livestock and you know things that can make them sick, sick and cause abortions and you know mutations and those types of things with their offspring. But I had no clue that there was weeds that could take out concrete. There you go. So it's uh, just some examples of each of those. Okay. Yeah. Um, okay. So can we go super sciencey for a minute? And I remember during your talk, you talked about, I think it was three different ways that some of these noxious weeds, gosh, I can't remember the word you used, that make them be poisonous or affect animals. Oh, yeah, putting me on the spot, and I don't have. Oh no! In front of me, yeah, yeah. There's uh, glue. Oh, those are hard words. No, I don't even. Um, <laughs> even when it's what you do, I still I know I have to look up words all the time. Yeah, I mean, one off one off the top of my head is uh, phytotoxicity, for instance. Um, okay. That, that contain qualities that, if a light colored horse or, or cattle feeds on and is then exposed to direct sunlight it causes burns either on the skin or on their eyes or in their mouth okay see that's one that you know you know possibly a farmer or homesteader who's lived in the north and takes an animal to a hotter climate and then they're having something like that and they move them into a barn or a better shaded area and they're still having those issues that would be the next step in troubleshooting so Yep. And then some of the other qualities that, forgive me, I, off the top of my head without my slide, can't remember the, the exact 
you know, name of the poisonous compound, but mm-hmm. hound's tongue, for instance, is something that's on the Idaho noxious weed list that has qualities that'll attack the liver of uh, of cattle or horses and and uh, you know, yeah, and I just wanted to give my listeners um, a chance to understand how serious some of these can be. Yep. So um, I know that if somebody has noxious weeds on their property or they believe they do, they can talk to their local agency. But what are some ways to mitigate both noxious weeds and possibly even just some of the invasive species? Yeah, and I uh, we generally promote um, an integrated approach, IPM integrated pest management, and that's uh, utilizing mechanical, biological, cultural, and chemical control, kind of all built on the pillar of prevention. I mean, prevention is obviously, you know, any anything you can do to keep impurities from coming onto your property and not starting with a problem is what you're going to want to do first, and that's um, cleaning equipment. You know, if you borrow a rototiller from a friend to work your garden. If it's dirty, swing into the car wash and make sure it's clean before you bring it onto your property and vice versa. And um, if you're hiking, hiking through weed infestations, scrub your boots and, and clothing off before you, you know, return home. So just, those are just a few prevention measures. And then um, when it comes to uh, the other, the others in the IPM model, that's when you're, when you have an infestation that you're, that you're dealing with. So Mechanical, that's just simply physically removing or destroying the weeds. That's uh, either by way of mowing or weed whacking or burning, hand pulling. Um, In the case of biological control, uh, there's there's an approval process to, at the federal government level, to be able to to utilize biocontrol. But insects and bugs that you know, feed on on these noxious weeds in their home ranges, Europe and Asia, mm-hmm. are studied and and if uh, they make it through the process and are approved and to where they only feed on one given genus and species, they can be introduced onto our landscape here in North America to serve as a mitig- as a mitigation factor, which would fall under biocontrol. Which and, and that's the one you were saying they need to go through APHIS to get approval, right? Right. Yep. That's the Animal Plant Health Inspection Service here, um, an offshoot, uh, I believe, of the Department, United States Department of Agriculture. Mm-hmm. Um, and then another portion of so biological control. That's just the use of any living organism um, to help combat your weed infestations. Um, targeted grazing, use, utilizing goats and sheep, is also um, an option under biocontrol, since goats and sheep are tolerant of a lot of different poisonous species that otherwise af- that, that affect cattle and horses. Um, and then the other part of the IPM is the chemical control, and that's the, the use of herbicides. And mm-hmm. that's where things get complicated because, I mean, you're talking selective systemic contact, uh, non-selective, um, different modes of action. And that's that's a lot where your county noxious weed program manager can come into play. I mean, I provide hundreds of recommendations um, and help walk people through you know, what chemicals you want to use on what use sites for what weeds and go through a label interpretations. And some of that can be confusing and equipment calibration, ensuring that the landowner is doing the job correctly. Okay. I know there's actually, you have to have, 
sometimes a special license to even put certain chemicals on your crops. So in the case of restricted use herbicides, yeah, those require a license. I don't use, I actually don't have any um, restricted use herbicides in, um, in my arsenal. And okay. every, everything that's, that we need to battle as far as um, both what weeds we're targeting and the use sites that we're on, we can get it done with general use herbicides that anyone oh. can go down to their local farm store and, and buy just, just the same as, as we can. All right. So I know one of the questions or one of the topics that we talked about um, was a lot of people have the concern of using herbicides when they're, you know, wanting to do organic or it, even if they have that like couple year process, like what your like half-lifes on a lot of these and stuff. Yeah, that's, you know, you got to make sure you're using the right tool for the right job. You know, some herbicides will persist in the soil for a while. And uh, in the case of, you know, say you're dealing with a spotted knapweed, a noxious weed infestation in a range and pasture situation, you know, you go and use a range and pasture herbicide that provides some pre-emergent qualities, which, I mean, mm -hmm. you're also, say you're treating the, the vegetation, but you're also, you know, treating the top layer of soil to where those noxious weed seeds, if there's a seed bank that's been developed, they'll sprout and die with that, as long as that chemistry is, integrity has been maintained. And that's something that it's going to stick around for a while, a year, year and a half, maybe two years in the soil. So, okay. So there's some tools that you'll use on, say, range and pasture use sites that would not be appropriate in a garden. Um, and there's there's some that have shorter half-lifes of a day or less where you can get away with using it in a garden plot or in an area where you intend on planting relatively soon. Okay. I mean, my thoughts on that, even when you're concerned about some of the organic and stuff, if you have weeds that are going to kill your sheep it's risk over benefit. Like you kind of got to take care of that and, you know, move forward from there. Yeah. In, in the case of your, uh, your range and pasture. Mm -hmm. um, but if you're, that's, that's where, uh, you know, reading the labels comes into play because it's very important that your use site is listed on, on that herbicide label. So if you're, okay. if you, if you're applying in your lawn, that product has to be labeled for turf. If you're applying in a, a forest environment, it has to be labeled for forestry. If you're applying in landscape, has to be labeled for landscape, range and pasture, so on and so forth. Okay. Um, so I know we mentioned a couple of uh, local weeds earlier and like, you know, I have listeners all over the United States and uh, several other countries, but just to kind of get the wheels turning, what are some of the noxious weeds that are really common up in North Idaho? So, so noxious weeds in the state of Idaho are broken down into three different cat, uh, categories. They're categorized by level of infestation on the landscape. So the EDRR, that's the early detection rapid response noxious weeds. Those have a limited presence in our area, some only on one site. And then the mid-level is called the control category where it's, it's beyond what can realistically be er eradicated on, uh, on, the, on a county-wide scale, but pioneering colonies could be, could be eradicated. 
And then the third category is called contain. Those are the ones that are fairly widespread. And, uh, you know, the strategy there is to educate education and awareness and to maintain high use areas, areas that are of highest risk of spread. And some of the species in, uh, in North Idaho, Bonner and Boundary counties that are in the widespread category would be spotted knapweed, Canada thistle, oxeye daisy, um, your hawkweeds, yellow and orange hawkweed, and your toad flaxes, Dalmatian toad flax and yellow toad flax. I don't even know what that is. It's <laughs> where our, our booklets with the full color photos uh, come Okay. I've definitely seen those at more than, more uh, county and extension offices than just our own. So um, I know that they're out there for other places. Um, you know, I just, I think for me, being an ag major, I definitely learned about noxious weeds and I deal with them a lot. But every time I, you know, pick up a book on, you know, how to raise goats, there's maybe one small paragraph in there about, you know, there are a couple of different weeds that are, you know, bad for goats and they might list one or two. And that's it. And I mean, if I was starting fresh with raising livestock, you know, I might see that one paragraph and be like, oh, I've never heard of that. So I'm probably good. And so I really, what do you think would be a good way to kind of get this, the word out about noxious weeds besides, I mean, what we're doing, obviously, but. You know, signage and billboards is actually, um, there's. There's some instances of that in the state of Idaho, and that's uh, it's something that's a grant project for us that it's uh, hopefully going to be in the pipeline here coming up. Uh, but that war, I mean, I'll just I'll share an example since this is not only a local and state issue, this is a national and even international issue. Mm-hmm. I attended uh, the North American Invasive Species Management Association's annual conference in Florida this last fall. And uh, one of the tracks was dedicated to education and awareness. And there was a, a story shared in, uh, I believe, Toronto, where um, someone at the airport came out, went to their car in the parking lot and noticed uh, some kind of a beat, I believe an Asian longhorn beetle, which uh, that's kind of, that's on the critter side, but mm-hmm. an invasive species in, uh, in Eastern Canada. And that individual had recognized it from a billboard in the Toronto area, reported it to the control authority, and they were able to initiate early detection and rapid response, went and removed a bunch of trees in that area and got the problem taken care of. So that's that's awesome. A success story of uh, billboards working. Um, There have been the state of Idaho has done radio ads and TV ads. Um, And then on, on the local side, I mean, I put out every kind of literature that I can. I've got an exhibit at our local county fair. Okay, that's what I was going to say is, I feel like there's a little bit of, do we trust the government at this moment, you know? And I know that there's certain things, you know, coming from my background, I know there's things that we have to, like they are the educated people that are, like I know that you, Chase, are not trying to, you know, lead me in the wrong direction. (laughs) And I think it's really important to understand that some of some things like the noxious weeds, this isn't someone trying to control your land. This is someone trying to protect your land. 
And that's where, you know, relationship building is, is big for me with my customers in Bonner County and, you know, making sure that I build that rapport. And, you know, I know that there, there is somewhat of a stigma with government and rightfully so. And I, I certainly mm-hmm. under, understand that. Um, but yeah, I'm, I mean, you're talking to the girl that my whole dream growing up to work with was to work for the USDA. So <laughs> <laughs> I never knew. <laughs> And, and this is, I mean, Bonner County specifically, you know, somewhat of a, we'll say challenging socioeconomic climate. Uh-huh. So. Um, You're also going to get met on a lot of people's property with a gun. So. That's, it's liable to happen. It hasn't happened to me yet. I'm, I'll knock on my wooden desk. That's good. I felt really bad for the census people. <laughs> yeah. And yeah. But there's the residential appraisers too that are you know, required by state code in the assessor's office to visit properties, you know, every few years to get updated assessments. And, yeah. and there's, and then we're, you know, noxious weeds managers are required to examine as much of the land as possible in the county to ascertain for noxious weed conditions. Mm-hmm. So, but I, you know, I, I certainly try to strike that delicate balance between executing my position as, as stated in code while also respecting private property rights. Well, that's, that's awesome. why we, and we, I mean, we come down with a heavy hand on on folks here. This is more, you know, we take an educational angle. Yeah, you know, I, I've kind of, I laugh when I moved to North Idaho is it's kind of, you know, I grew up in Northern California where there was a lot of weed growers back before it was legal. And I mean, every time you were out hunting or, you know, just hanging out at the river, you had to be make, you had to be careful where you were walking. The and other kind of weed. the other kind of weed yeah and you know there was even some of the backwoods there was some cartel stuff happening we had to watch that when we were out you know like deer camp every year and stuff but I kind of laugh moving to North Idaho because some of these like backwoods guys kind of remind me of that growing up in Northern California so I mean, I'm sure there's other places in the United States that people aren't really happy about you kind of wandering on their property, but I definitely feel like North Idaho is one of the last frontiers on that type of thing. <laughs> and, you know, generally speaking, I can, you know, ascertain a lot of what I need to from a public roadway. Yeah. And if, if I know that, you know, I need to go into and look in more detail in an area, what I'll, I'll spend the next off seat, I mean, a portion of you know, my winter duties includes cataloging and in- indexing areas where noxious weeds exist in Bonner County. And I'll go through our our mapping database and, and send letters out to folks in an area, say, you know, giving them a heads up saying, hey, I'm going to, you know, we're going to have crews that are going to be surveying for, you know, no noxious weed problems in your area. So. Well, that, yeah, I... You know, and I think it's, you know, with that education that you're wanting to help and not control, it's, you know, for the most part, people who, you know, have a good, you know, a goat herd or horses, they, they want that education. They want to keep their investments safe or their companions safe. But for, you know, when you move into a new area and all of a sudden there's a guy on your porch with a pamphlet, you're like, no, no, this isn't happening. (laughs) The overwhelming majority of the time, you know, people are, you know, very cooperative and thankful and and some just, some don't know they have a problem. That's Uh, great. I'm glad that, I mean, not that people don't know, but that they're receptive because I feel like this is such an important topic. 
Yep. And uh, I mean, the very rare occasion that I would, you know, exercise um, our powers and statute would be, you know, you'd heard me talk about the three categories based on the level of infestation, Mm -hmm. noxious weed across. If we had an EDRR, an early detection rapid response species that was absolutely nowhere else in the county and it was a quarter acre patch on one property and that landowner just happened to be you know stonewalling every one of my attempts to help that that would be you know the one probably lone situation where I might exercise an enforcement action. I think that's fair I mean because yeah. it's one of those things where you aren't trying to control the person you're trying to help the larger community and and themselves. Yeah. So no, I think that's great. Um, so is there anything I missed in my questions? Um, well, I know that you'd kind of alluded to the, you know, there's quite a large net with this podcast. I mean, reaching mm-hmm. folks across the nation and across the world. Um, and it is, I mean, invasive species, whether invasive animals or invasive plants are an issue across the world. Um, just an example, too, that I picked up on at the, the North American Invasive Species Management Conference in Florida um, was some of the Pacific Islands, Guam, um, the Mariana Islands, some of the areas up in there were actually the governors of, of those countries, you know, con, you know, get together quarterly or every so often to talk about strictly invasive species. Because, I mean, they're, it's, it's an issue, I mean... it's such an intense issue there where there's invasive ants that literally drive people out of their homes. Oh my gosh. And then on the case of, uh, you know, the invasive plants, the equivalent, you know, noxious weeds, food security is a big thing in some of those islands where, you know, they're relying on just a few shipments a year to get them by. And some of these countries are one missed shipment away from starvation. So in the case Mm. of you know, they're noxious. And they're land poor. They don't have room to grow a lot of their own. Exactly. So this, uh, yeah, I mean, looking at the big picture, this is an issue statewide, nationwide, and world. Mm -hmm. And I mean, even something to consider, like how you were saying, we don't have like the native mitigation, you know, something like lupine. I I don't know. I'm just kind of, I saw that one on the list. So I'm just going to use that as an example. You know, for us, because there's no animals that eat lupine around here, it's just going to grow and grow and grow. Where for somebody else, that might be like, no, lupines are, you know, we want it here, you know, because it's not a invasive or noxious weed in, I don't know, Italy or something like that. Lupin actually, well. That example. Maybe that was a really bad example. So Lupin actually is native to. to Okay. It's just that that's one of those fluke, you know, type species that. I messed up my whole example. (laughs) I I see where you were going with that. Yeah. It's poisonous to livestock, but it it doesn't proliferate the landscape. I mean, because it it belongs here. Mm -hmm. But there are. Oh, there's. You know, let's let's just say orange hawkweed, something that, that you know is an invasive that comes from um, Eastern, you know, Middle and Eastern Europe. That's you know native there. It has its mitigation factors. It's not going to carpet the landscape the way that it does here, but it mm-hmm. is pretty. That's an example of one that was brought over intentionally for ornamental purposes, and it just started running amok on the landscape. 
and you, you'll have folks where there's, you know, one landowner that say, I, I, I need to keep this, I need to keep this out of my hay field. It's, it's taken over my, my forage and my perennial grasses for the animals. And you have the neighbor next to you saying, oh, well, it's, it's pretty. It's, I like looking at it when it's in blue. Right. Oh, I know what I, so I had you in my head when I was ordering seeds this year. I decided that I wanted to, so we're putting up a new fence in our garden, which is going to be much stronger where I can, you know, hang pots with my herbs growing and stuff and not have to worry about it breaking my fence down. It's, you know, going to make it with like cow panels and Mm. cattle panels. (laughs) And so I'm like, with that, you know, I have also, it's a little bit stronger where I'm not going to be having, you know, my cows breaking out and getting into my garden. So I want to plant uh, pollinators in between each of my beds, because I did have a pollination issue last year. And I, when I was trying to decide what flowers to buy from true leaf, they had a wildflower mix. And you were in my head on that one because you can't, which I, I was bad. I bought it anyways, but I decided because my fence, I couldn't, nothing was getting in that but so talk to us a little bit about that so just as a, as a general rule and i'm just speaking in general terms i, I advise you know you're trying not to shame me it's okay <laughs> I, I can't say i've never used a wildflower mix so you know but if you get individual seed packets just one species at a time you can mm-hmm. dump the contents of that out say onto a paper plate and you can cull out any seeds that are not uniform as potential impurities. Um, but in the case of a of an actual wildflower mix where that's not possible, if that's something that you, if that's a direction you still want to go, um, it's a good idea to get, get them from a reputable source or, you know, in, in some cases they have language on them that say no noxious weeds found, which isn't okay. going to guarantee that there's not going to be some there, but you know that the source did their due diligence to, you know, at least mitigate that risk. Um, but then if you're at least aware of the issue, you can just keep an eye on the area where you planted these. And if anything looks out of place, like, I don't think that belongs in that mix. That's something you can just extract, you know, mm-hmm. nip, nip it in the bud right away. So it keeps from being a problem. Yeah. Like I said, my thought with, at least with the animals, I'm putting the new fence up, which is what's allowing me to do this. I was like, well, at least I don't have to worry about my animals getting sick from anything I plant. But now I'm actually going to True Leaf on my phone to look at their wildflower mix and see what it says. See if we have, if there's any, see, I got the bees one. because That's what I wanted. Yeah, I'm actually not seeing, you know, just at a quick glance, anything about it not having noxious weeds. But what I do remember is it did list the types of flowers that are supposed to be in there. And all of them were listed as local North Idaho good flowers for pollinators. And so I was like, okay, that makes it easy. I can just buy one package. Cause I remember reading those when I was doing it, but so yeah, I just, I wanted to put that one out there as something for someone to think about, you know, I'm true leaf's a pretty big company. I'm sure that their goal is not to, it's their own reputation. If they're sending out something bad, like you said, a reputable company. Yeah. And that's, uh, and they listed all the, the contents. I mean, each of the species on the packet. Mm-hmm. See, and that's, that's something that you can kind of monitor as they develop and, 
Um, if something looks like it's not one of those, then you can call that out after, you know, after it's developed. I've never been much of a flower person. I even took some plant ID classes in college and I was like, this sucks. It's boring. I don't like it. (laughs) (laughs) I I mean, that's probably all you did was plant identification, but. (laughs) Oh yeah. Yeah. So just in, uh, in the case of my property, I've got, it's just a regular 50 by a hundred and foot lot in town in the Mm -hmm. city of Sandpoint. So I don't, I don't have a ton of real estate, but so I've got my lawn that looks like a golf green. I mean, I keep it, you know, weed free and nice, but I've got landscaping beds that kind of flank it on the side where I put in various plants for the pollinators. Mm-hmm. And I, uh, I actually get, you know, potted annuals, you know, from okay. our local nursery and just, you know, plant those every year as opposed to go in the seed mix. But so on a small scale, you know, that's, mm-hmm. that's a great way to go. Yeah, I, I sell like about a thousand seed starts from my property every year. Oh, so I wanted to kind of, I thought it would be fun to also sell some pots with pollinators in them too. So I got a pretty big bag, but. um, So yeah, sorry. I was really going somewhere with that and it totally just, but yeah, I am excited to see what grows and use that as an opportunity to do some plant ID with my kids. Cause like I said, it wasn't my forte, but what I did love is my stepdad made me this really great uh, flower press. And I've used that for years. I've had it for probably 20 years now. And so I'm excited to bust that out this year. Yeah. I still have some pressed specimens from uh, high school and college classes. Yeah. So yeah. (laughs) And it's funny what you hold on to when that's been what you've studied for so long. You're like, I might need that one day. Of course, you know, it's so degraded at this point. It probably wouldn't be able to ID anything, but (laughs) no, they're, Actually, uh, just recently was cleaning out my attic, mm-hmm. you know, where I store all that stuff and they're, you know, 22, 23 years later, still in decent enough shape the way that I preserve them. Nice. I mean, I, I dried mine and I put them behind like the, it's like the plastic seal. Plastic stuff. seal. Yeah. And some of them look really great and some of them didn't hold up as well. So. And then but. depending on the integrity of the seal that. Yeah. So some can deteriorate over time. So I know we've talked about a few action steps, but kind of as a wrap up, what would be the steps that maybe you would say take for somebody who's just moved onto a new piece of property or is just realizing that this is an issue? Yeah. I mean, I would say just, I mean, educate yourself on, on your County government functions as a whole. I mean, I'm, okay. I'm, I'm one of yeah. 17 departments under the purview of the board of county commissioners and and that doesn't include what's under the assessors and the sheriff and the treasurer um so i just you know start with your county website on you know some of the services that they have to offer and then um, when it comes specifically to noxious weeds um, be curious about it you know try to identify what you have on your property and if you need some some help that's where, you know, your county noxious weeds program can, can help with identifying and um, something that's bothering you that you want to control. Well, that, that starts with identifying what you're working with. So we can then, you know, work with you on a, on a successful treatment plan. Great. Uh, so as we're wrapping up, I ask all of my guests, what does keep growing mean to you? Perpetuate. Keep it going. 
All right. Well, thank you so much for taking your time to educate us today. And is there anything else you want to add? No, we covered it well. That was, uh, appreciate the opportunity. So this, uh, guesting on a podcast like this, that's just another, another example of getting the word out there, part of the education and awareness. So I'm glad that we crossed paths at the, the 4-H leaders training and it's led to this. That's great. Me too. I, you know, we have the uh, modern home study convention coming to North Idaho this year. And so there's a lot of people in this area who are getting really excited about educating themselves further. So I'm excited to be able to have brought you on and hopefully this helps somebody before they get into a bad situation on their property. Absolutely. All right. Well, thank you so much. All right, Cody. Thank you. Thank you for joining me today at the Homestead Education, and I hope that I have given you something to think about this week. To help others find me, please comment and leave a review on your favorite podcast player. You can also follow me on Facebook at the Homestead Education and Instagram at Homestead underscore education. Do you have questions that you would like answered or just want to say hi? Please email me at hello at the homesteadeducation.com. Until next time, keep growing. Thank you.